Jeremiah chapter 12. A couple years ago, uh, many of you may remember Carrie and Terry Sinus. Uh, they were missionaries to Grenada. They had, I, mentioned, I mentioned him recently, uh, along with Henry Barfield, that they had a unique ministry um, because of things that had happened in their life. Um, they were so uniquely fitted for what they did, both Henry and, and uh, Terry Sinus. And um, when Terry Sinus passed away suddenly, um, he was such a precious man. I really grew to love that guy. Um, I was blessed to go to Grenada three times uh, on their missions trips. They would take several, like a month or two, I forget how many times each year, and then they would bring a group of people down to Grenada uh, to minister. And it was a blessing. They were ambassadors uh, to the, to the, especially to the independent Baptists in Grenada. Uh, they were a blessing. They were so well organized that they always brought teams from different churches and they would go where, where the churches were ready to bless the pastors. And uh, it, I really miss, uh, it was such a special time. We got to see, Grenada is the land of spices. We got to tour a spice factory that, you know, there wasn't much touring going on. But one thing I'll remember is the ice cream <laughs> and, the, uh, and the touring, you know, the, uh, the, the spice factory. But, um, you know, we got to hand out tracts galore, got to witness to people, see so many people profess Christ. And uh, I know that there were a whole group of Baptist pastors in Grenada that really look forward to that. And they miss Terry and Carrie's ministry uh, since, since Carrie passed. But I remember um, not too long after Carrie passed, uh, Terry shared something on social media from a devotional she was reading. I don't know what. The devotional was by Paul Tripp. He's a popular writer and author. And uh, this really rung a chord to her having just lost her husband and it, it just I needed to see it and you've, you've heard me mention this before and uh, let me read to you this quote because it really leads into Jeremiah chapter 12 incredibly and here's what Paul Tripp said he said now remember this is this is being read by someone that just lost their husband he said even though you're a person of faith who has acquired some degree of biblical literacy and theological knowledge there's one thing you can be sure of. God will confuse you. And then this is the quote that I latched on to, probably because of what I was studying at the time. He says, your theology will give you only a limited ability to exegete your experience, experiences. I'm going to go back to that phrase because that's important. He says, the commands, principles, and case studies of Scripture will take you only so far in your quest to figure out your life. There will be moments when you simply don't understand what is going on. In fact, you will face moments when what the God who has declared himself to be good brings into your life won't seem good. In fact, it may seem bad, very bad. Now, if your faith is based on your ability to fully understand your past, present, and future then your moments of confusion will become moments of weakening faith. And I mean, it's just, that's, that, that is so good. He goes on and says some pretty profound things. But this idea that your theology will, only, will give you only a limited ability to exegete your experiences. Now, we've been talking in our Bible study about exegesis. That has to do with studying your Bible. 
And it's what we're supposed to do when we approach the Bible. Ex, I just said, in fact, I think I said this this morning, that exegesis is out of, and then there's the opposite of exegesis, which is bad, which is what we don't want to do, is asegesis. Exegesis is letting the Bible speak for itself, coming out of. Asegesis is when we read into the Bible what we want it to say. And those are two very different approaches. Now, here's the point. We're talking about the Bible. That's how God has revealed himself. So why, would we, why do we want to exegete the Scriptures? Why do we want to look in the Scriptures? Because that's where we find God. Studying the book lets us know about God. He's revealed himself in his Word. And in, in the Scriptures, he's given us everything uh, to fully equip us to every good work. Uh, as we mentioned before, based on 2, uh, 2 Timothy 3, the Bible tells us what's right, it tells us what's wrong. It tells us how to get right and tells us how to stay right. But now what Paul Tripp said, and it's a good point, is your theology will give you only a limited ability to exegete, not the scriptures, but to exegete our experiences. And that's a whole different ballgame. You see, you and I, while we can know God as he has revealed himself, to then turn away from the scriptures and then look at our lives and what's going on in our lives and trying to figure that out, that's not as easy. We learn principles from the scriptures that maybe we can apply, but we are all limited. And if our faith, again, that last quote, if our faith is based on our ability to fully understand our experiences, past, present, and future, if that's what our faith is based upon, then our moments of confusion will become moments of weakening faith. And that, of course, happens to a lot of Christians. And it's common. Elijah was a man of like passions. Jeremiah was a man of like passions. Uh, Asaph was a man of like passions like we have. And all these men struggled at times. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah's struggle. And uh, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 12. And, and again, I'm going to be quoting from Psalm 73. We, we won't need to turn there. I love Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. And, and uh, I have been chewing on that for, for years. And when I came to Jeremiah 12, the first, I'm like, this is like Asaph. This is exactly what Asaph was doing. So let's, let's look at Jeremiah here. And then I'll, of course, quote to you from uh, the parallel passages of what, what Asaph was going through. And you can relate. I'm sure you can relate. So look at verse 1. And by the way, this is very much, Jeremiah is, is uh, putting God in his rightful place. He says, righteous art thou, O Lord. Because he's about ready to complain, you know. But he wants to set it straight. He's like, Lord, you're righteous. You know, just so we know this. You're good. You're okay. You know, and in fact, Asaph said, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So he was like starting out the same way. Because he's getting ready to complain. But he wants to just, Lord, just so you know, I'm, I know that you're righteous. And, and Asaph, I know that you're good. And of course, Asaph said, but as for me, and then he shared his woes. So look at Jeremiah now, verse 1. Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. God, I got some questions. And, and many of you, many people have said that, haven't they? And he had some questions. And the biggest one comes in the next, few, the next sentence. Question. 
Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Why, why is life not fair? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you know that's what people say. And then why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, why doth the way of the wicked prosper? Here's what Asaph said in Psalm 73. First he starts out, God is good to Israel. And then he said, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Same thing that Jeremiah is saying. Why do bad people get away with it? And then uh, Asaph said, talking about the fact that these people can just do wrong, hurt people, take advantage of people, be be you know, nasty and selfish and harmful to other people. And it doesn't seem to affect them. Here's what he said. There are no bands, you know, limitations in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness there. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt. And he goes on for quite a while. But let's look at Jeremiah now. Uh, again, verse 1. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Why? Why, does, why do these wicked people that have no regard for God, why do they seem to be having a better life than me, Jeremiah is saying? Uh, verse 2. Thou hast planted them. You know, God, you, you created them. They have, they have taken root, they grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit, using the agricultural picture, you know, that they're, they're prospering. They're like, a, you know, they're like a, a fruit tree or a, a harvest and a crop that's prospering. And, and he says, thou art near in their mouth. They talk about God. But far and far from their reins, the reins is the heart, the inner part of man. So he's saying, you know, these are people that they'll, they'll talk, the talk is cheap. They talk like they, they, oh yeah, I'm with the Lord, and they talk that, but their heart is far from God. So that's his problem. His problem is that life is not fair. And here he is now. He is trying to exegete. He's trying to, trying to get meaning and understanding out of his experiences. And that's, of course, that's why this quote, your theology will only give you a limited ability to exegete your experiences. We do not want our faith to be based on our ability to understand what's going on around us. Because God never, pro He gives us understanding about who He is. He reveals Himself in Scripture. And from that, we take certain principles. But, you know, the, the book of Job is a great example. We'll maybe refer to that at the end. But in the book of Job... You know, Job did not know what was going on. He could not exegete his circumstances. And uh, so he did some major examination. He's like, he, you know, so much of the book of Job is he's looking at himself saying, have I done this wrong? You know, I, I remember when I did this, I was good to the poor. I, you know, I never neglected. He just kind of went through the checklist because he couldn't figure out why this bad stuff was happening to him. And remember, God even said he was an upright man that feared God and eschewed evil. Uh, there was, he was a, 
an extremely unique, godly man. And God approved of him in the very beginning. So now in verses 3 and 4, we see Jeremiah's frustration. First, he's looking out, just like Asaph, and he's looking at, at, at all the, the wicked people, happy as a clam, and you know, it just seems like they're, they're, they're enjoying life more than I am, and I'm, I'm, I know the God of creation, the God that created me. And look at verse 3. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried my heart toward thee. It's, it'd be like someone saying today, hey, God knows my heart. And, and of course, sometimes we jump on people like that, maybe in a hyper-spiritual way, shame on us, but you know, the heart is deceitful above all things. Yeah, God knows your heart. And it is, it is deceitful. But give Jeremiah some slack here and people that say that, it, you know, that can be a sign of frustration. Like, you know, I've searched my heart. You know, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not perfect. But I am sincerely trying to live for God here. And, and it doesn't seem to be paying off. That's, you know, Jerry, Jeremiah's very frustrated. Again, he, um, thou knowest me, thou knowest me, thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. It's like, Lord, you, I don't understand this. I'm trying to walk with you as sincerely as I can. And yet, it just, it does, it, life is not fair. I don't, I don't understand why this is happening. He says, pull, and now he gets some kind of, um, what do you call that, uh, the, the prayers of rebuke? Imprecatory prayers. He starts praying down fire from heaven in a sense. He says, pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. Remember um, James and John, the sons of uh You remember the disciples were, when, uh, when they rejected Jesus, the two disciples, was it James and John? He said, he, um, he said let us call fire down from heaven to consume them. You know, how dare you reject Jesus Christ is their attitude. And this is like Jeremiah. Verse 4, How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed and the birds because they said, He shall not see our last end. Again, there was no fear of God in their eyes. Now, Asaph did the same thing in Psalm 73. After he got done complaining... And he spent a lot more time complaining than Jeremiah did here. In verse 13, so up from verse 2 until verse 12, he's just looking at everyone else and how happy they are and how they're getting away with murder and they couldn't care less about God and they seem to be having an easier time of life than him. And then he looks at himself, much like Jeremiah did. And Asaph says in Psalm 73 and verse 13, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. That's what Jeremiah was saying. Lord, you've searched my heart. You know me. You know, you know I've, been, I've been sincerely trying to follow you. It's the same thing. Asaph saying, I, I've cleansed my heart in vain. Wash my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're you're trying to you're making effort to serve the Lord, you're uh, surrendering and sacrificing things to be a blessing to others and to serve God, and it just it doesn't seem to be paying off, and and you're thinking you know what, I, I, I've got friends that are 
they're doing better than me. They're doing, you know, they're not struggling, whatever, financially or whatever your struggles may be. And they're wondering, what's going on here? And I want to stop for a minute. I want to share an illustration that I haven't shared in a long time that I read from an article many years ago, and it was such a blessing to me that um, kind of illustrated this idea about fairness. When you and I look at others, or when you and I look at our circumstances, and we take our eyes off of the Lord, we are making ourselves prone to sink. Remember Peter? Remember he was in the boat and the Lord approached him on the water and Jesus bid him to come. And when Peter, Peter's eyes were on the Lord and Jesus instigated that, come on out and you know, be with me. And that, just keeping his eyes on the Lord, following the Lord's simple command, he got out of the boat and he started to walk. Can you imagine how awesome that must have been? People don't do that. There's this thing called gravity, you know, that, that normally would affect Peter. And how exciting it must have been. And maybe just the shock of the situation, maybe the first few steps, he's like, I cannot believe I'm walking on water. And then he looked at the water around him, the tempest, took his eyes off the Lord. And what happened? He began to sink. Don't we do the same thing? We do the, we do the same thing. We, like, like Asaph did, like Jeremiah did, we look at other people and then we, we look at ourselves and we look at our circumstances and we become discontent, we become ungrateful and we begin to complain. Uh, a, a dear pastor, many of you know Pastor Dave Natale, he hasn't preached here in a while because he moved up to Maine. Uh, I love that guy, he's such a precious brother. He sent me a, a little sermon audio clip um, and it was a one-minute sermon. I, I can handle a one-minute sermon, you know. And um, it was, I forget the guy's name. He was this famous old preacher. I guess not old enough, or maybe someone was reading the message. But in that one minute, he made this quote that just jumped out at me. And it was this, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. And the whole, the whole it was only a minute, but it was very profound. For every look at yourself, Take 10 looks at Christ. I think too many times we take 10 looks at ourselves and the circumstances and one look at Christ. Uh, I do, I do. I got to start working on that. You know, I got to go from one to 10 and flip it around. So I'm looking at myself less, my circumstances left less, and Christ more. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us cast aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What does the Bible say? Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. No verse in the Bible says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, who focuses on his circumstances. <laughs> it's just the opposite. So here's, here's the, 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 you may remember this if you've been here for a while. Uh, in fact, this is quite dated. Uh, a man shares this story. He said, One summer, one of my younger daughters went canoeing with a visiting family of four teenagers. The youngest was a boy of 13. His mother, not having confidence that he could survive a spill in the swift water, told him to wear his life jacket. And this was a time, you know, we've, we've had some canoeing trips in days gone by, especially when our kids were younger. 
uh, church canoeing trips. They, they were pretty awesome. Um, his three older, t- uh, oh, so um, he told this, she told this 13-year-old he had to wear a life jacket. His three older sisters were not so required. On the way to the canoe rental, and this is where it'll date itself, as they stopped for gas, the boy went inside and called his mother. Remember pay phones? We all have cell phones now. We can do it right from the car. Um, and he complained to his mom of the unfairness of his sisters not having to wear life jackets. After complaining for a while, the mother relented to his pitiful appeal and told him that since he had to endure the discomfort of a life jacket, then his sisters would also have to wear the life jackets. After all, it's only fair, right? As they were preparing to leave the gas station, he came out gloating over his successful appeal to fairness. And then the writer says, and parents wonder why their children don't like each other. <laughs> I like that. One of the girls got out, got on the car phone, okay, the car phone, and spoke to her mother about their distaste for wearing life jackets. So she complained. And the mother again relented and said that none of them have to wear a life jacket. So the kid got his way after all. His mother obviously felt that he needed the jacket to ensure safety, but she was forced to step back from her better judgment based on an assumption of fairness and equality. That is why the idea of fairness is not healthy. It is not good. Uh, it is, and I want you to think of this. There are so many factors in life that you and I don't want things to be fair. Uh, this, this whole idea of opportunity uh, is so important. And when you realize that God is in charge of our life, just think of that parent. Think of that parent. Here's this mom who, as a mother, is concerned about her 13-year-old son. He can't swim very well. The older daughters can swim. And so she makes a judgment call based on that knowledge for the safety of her son. And because it's fair, all he's thinking of is, i got to wear this thing they don't, it's not fair. And so he's able to complain and get his mother to acquiesce and do something very unwise. Is the mother responsible to give an answer to the child? Well, son, listen, you can't swim. Your daughters are very good swimmers, and I don't want you to die. Is, it, does, he, does, he have to, does she have to reason with him? Now, you know, depending on the age, there's a time for that. But it's so important that we understand, like with a parent. That's Why does the Bible say children obey your parents? When you understand the reason that they give you if, you if you accept it. No, it doesn't. And you know what? God is in charge of our life. And He's orchestrating everything. Amazingly. And you and I don't know all the stuff that's going on. And, and that's why we cannot exegete. We can't understand just by looking at our exper- experiences and then car- comparing them to other people's experiences we are never going to understand what God is doing fully in, in most of our situations. And so let's look now at, um, at God's response or God's perspective. And, and it's a weird verse, but we're going to look at it for a minute. 
God says, and this is much like Job, uh, you know, in Job 38, the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind and just starts firing questions at him. Who is, who is, this, the, who is, this, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, and I will demand of thee, and you answer me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If, I just love that. You know, God's saying, I'm in charge, you're not. You weren't there when I created the earth. I am sovereign. I'm, I am working all things after the counsel of my will. I'm in charge here. You don't know what I'm doing. And you don't have to know. So look at Jeremiah. Here's, and here's what God says in verse 5. Jeremiah 12, 5. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? What's he saying? He's saying, Job, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how are you going to race against horses? And then he says, And if in the land of peace wherein thou trustest, thou, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? In other words, he's saying, if you stumble and fall uh, on open ground, then what are you going to do in the thickets near Jordan? At Jordan, There's two possible, some people think it's like the marshy, uh, like the, when, the, when the Jordan rises and it's real, uh, the water is the danger. Other people, there's apparently great jungles around the Jordan and it's a very treacherous terrain. But the idea, they're both very similar, is that God is telling, God is looking at the big picture. God has a reason for why he's allowing Jeremiah to go through what he's going through. God knows the end from the beginning. And actually, God is training Jeremiah for future challenges. Jeremiah is getting persecuted, and we'll see a verse in a minute, maybe. He's being persecuted, we saw this last week, by his, his family, his hometown people, his village. He's being criticized by his own people. And God has bigger things for Jeremiah that are going to require greater suffering. And God is training him, but God is saying, listen, if you can't handle the, this, these little things, you're not going to be able to handle what I have for you. And um, later on in this book, Jeremiah would have to spend a night in stocks in Jeremiah chapter 20. He would have to spend confinement in a cistern like a well, Jeremiah 38. And he would be imprisoned in the court of the guard in Jeremiah 38. And it's like God is saying, you know, the troubles he was having in Anathoth were nothing compared to the troubles that he's going to have later in Jerusalem and Babylon and Egypt. And so God's looking, always looking at the bigger picture. And to quote Ron Hamilton in that song, God never moves without purpose or plan when molding his servant and trying a man or a woman. God always has purpose. He does not move without purpose and plan. Understand that. You don't have to understand what he's doing or the circumstances, but understand that God has a very specific reason for whatever you and I are going through. Verse 6, he would say, Even thy brethren in the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yea, they have called a multitude after, they, uh, after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. See, even your household, even your brothers and your sisters, 
you know, your family, your father dealing treacherously with you. Uh, they're going to call out after you, but do not believe them, even when they say nice things about you. That's what he's saying. This is, this, he's trying to toughen him up and prepare him for what he's going through. And um, it, in fact, it's interesting that in, in uh, Psalm 73, remember Asaph? He complains from verse 2 all the way up to verse 16. First he's looking at others. Then he's looking at himself. He's having a big pity party. Psalm 73 is all about pity parties. Jeremiah 12 is about a pity party for Jeremiah. Well, with Asaph, he felt he was struggling up until verse 17. And then, and then everything changed. Because he's complaining. He's saying, what, why is life not fair? This is just not right. I've cleansed my hands in innocency. This is in vain. I'm trying to live for the Lord. I'm serving God and forsaking sin. And nobody else is. And they're having an easier time. So he was complaining, complaining, complaining. And then in verse 17 it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God. He forgot someone. He forgot the Lord. Looking at people. Looking at circumstances. Looking at himself. He took God out of the picture. You ever done that? Take God out of the picture? He said, Then, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, then understood I their end. So he didn't understand their end before. They were getting away with murder. Remember sentence against, in Ecclesiastes 8.10, I think, or 10.8, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily right away. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men, the wicked people, are fully set in them to do evil. In other words, they're getting away with it. They're going to keep doing that. And that, you know, that's the evil people's perspective. Hey, look at this. We robbed the bank and we got away with it. Hey, look, we did this sin and nobody caught it. We can keep doing it. Well, on, on Asaph's part, he was the one that's looking at them getting away with it. And he's not looking at the bigger picture until he puts God in the picture. And then he says, in fact, I want to close with this. This, this is great. In Psalm 73, it's what Jeremiah would learn as well. In... Um, in Jeremiah uh, 12, 7 and following. But listen to Psalm 73, verse 25. Now, now Asaph turns his heart to God. Jeremiah would do the same thing. Verse 25. Whom have, I, whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Folks, it is good for us to draw near to God. When you're struggling, you're looking at people around you, you're looking at your circumstances, it is good for us to draw near to God. And Asaph says, I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Remember, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. By the way, that's not a scripture verse. So don't, doesn't the Bible say somewhere? No, it's, but it's a good counsel from a godly pastor. Now I want, to, I want to close with this. I want you to, I want you to think about that, that canoeing thing and the mom. You know, mom. you know, moms and dads try to make decisions based on what would be best and what would be wisest. And they often know things about their children that... Um, that the children doesn't know. And frankly, the younger the chi child is, that they're not really answerable to the child. 
This brings back my childhood. I've, I've, I think I've shared with you, I got held back in third grade. I went to Catholic school, first, second, third grade, and, and then I, my parents switched me to public school, and they held me back. So I had to do third grade twice, and I never got over that. Because all the peers, you know, first, second, third grade, they're all moving on up, and I'm like, I'm now a grade behind them. And I asked my parents when I got older, I'm like, why did you do that, you know? And, they, and it wasn't that they were answering, but they said, we just felt like you weren't mature enough. They made that call. And they, they, that was their right to do that. They saw me. They, they, you know, they made that decision. But I want you to understand that we've got someone that is far more capable from parents. You know? Jesus used that story about if a child asks bread, is he going to give them a stone? You know, that whole thing. And if we can trust our earthly parents, we ought to trust, trust our Heavenly Father. But I want, you to, I want to remind you that God promises, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, it, ta- it, ta- it speaks of God as the one who, do- who works all things after the counsel of His own will. And then I want, you to, I want you to go here. This will be our last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You've heard me quote this a lot. Because it has become a very important point to me when um, things don't go my way or I think I'm being unfairly treated or represented. And, and this, by the way, anything you're going through, anything in your life where you think it's just not fair, I want you to remember this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time. And by the way, this is not saying that we're not to make that we're not to be wise and discerning. You know, that, that, that Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be, be not judged, is not, is not saying don't ever say anything bad about anything. No. In fact, the Bible tells us, judge righteous judgment. But look what it says. Judge nothing before the time. In other words, when we're forming our opinions um, about people and about circumstances and about actions, in some sense, now we can, we can look at something that's wrong, sin, and say, now that's not right. But in, in some sense, we need to hold off the final call on something or someone. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Why? What is God going to do that's going to change things so that then we can see properly and make the right judgment call? Look what it says. Until the Lord comes. Here's what He's going to do. He's going to do two things. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. In other words, you and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what uh, certain people have done. We don't know how certain people have acted. There's so many things that we do not know about people and their private lives. And so, if we just judge them based on what we think is going on, uh, we are being unwise. We become like Job's friends. They didn't know what was going on behind his, you know, in his private life. And so they assumed, you must be sinning, buddy. Confess. Get right with the Lord. And so, because we don't know the hidden things of darkness, that's going to all come out. 
And how many times have you heard about a crime or someone that did something and, and it was during the trial or whatever that things came out and it just changed your opinion? I remember watching a documentary one time and I remember as they interviewed the, 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 even the, 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 uh, the criminal, he just seemed so sincere. And I, I remember saying, I remember looking at it thinking, oh, he definitely didn't do that. You know, no, no way. He just seemed so sincere and so likable. Well, it ends up that, you know, after the trial comes out that you find out that this guy did do it and he did all kinds of things and he even confessed it later. And so because you and I don't know, we have to hold off. And not only that, he's going to do two things. He's going to, he's going to bring everything out in the open. Remember, the God who sees in secret will reward us openly. And then it says, and he will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. So hidden actions and our motivations, why we do things. You and I don't know, know, we don't know what people's motivations are. People can do things for ulterior motives. People can do things for, you know, just, just being so wrong and selfish. But because they're able to say the right things, we don't know that. And he's going to make manifest the counsels of the heart. He's going to, he's going to bring out what everyone's motivations are. Now, don't you think you and I would be able to make a better judgment call after we know those things than before? And so because we don't know these things, but God does, He is. this is amazing to me. It blows my mind. Our God is working everything. He's unfolding the events of life in everyone's life, and He's in control of it all. And he knows all the hidden things. He knows everybody's motives. And he's, and he's working. He's not just centering uh, his... Remember, you and I are not the, the, the... We are not the theme of the redemption story. But he is working all things together for good to those that love God. But for his glory, most importantly. And so he's working all these things together. And you and I don't have a clue of some things. So we don't... We have to, and I close with this now, that um, you've heard of the coffee ministries. We've played one of their, their, their recordings that's been a big blessing to me. Um, I think it was 2017. One of the, the, the coffee ministries is an evangelistic team that has a group of singers that go around. Uh, they're, they're, they, they've been part of the Wilds ministry. And um, there was one of, their, one of their men that was part of their group. His name was Matthew Clemens. In 2017, he was hit and killed in a car accident. And uh, he had wrote a song called You Are God. He wrote the chorus to the song. After he was killed, one of the other members of the, the, the team, Abby Chetta, uh, wrote the rest of the words. And uh, in fact, in the recording, we actually you hear his voice singing some songs about life. And it's just very powerful. But when Abby Chetta uh, wrote one of the words, one of the things she said, and this... This just jumped out at me. It's kind of like that, that quote that Terry, uh, Terry Sinus shared. And, and the chorus, she said this. Peace is not... Uh, let me read it. Peace is not in understanding. Peace is knowing who you are. That is such a good quote. Peace. We get peace. Not in understanding. From, looking at, from exegeting our life and our experiences. That's not where peace comes from. Peace is knowing who He is. And so until God comes to get us, we're not going to know what's going on in every aspect, and we don't need to.
we can still have peace because we know God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Help us. Help us not to... Um, help, us, help, help our faith not to be based on our ability to fully understand our past, present, and future. Help our faith to be built on just who You are. Trusting in You, just like Job did. Job served You because You were God, uh, not because he understood what was going on. And Father, I pray that we would also... And I thank You for Jeremiah. Thank You for his honesty. Thank you that he struggled with this. But ultimately, Father, he was faithful. He kept his eyes on you. Help us to do the same. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.